Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Ian Unsworth here with you today, along with Gil Gross. And Gil, we haven't really been talking football the past couple of weeks, but... It's about time to get into it. September has rolled around. The leaves will change colors in a couple of weeks, and it's football season. I've been using this analogy with people. To me, football season happening, or or let me reframe this. All summer long, I feel like we've been running through the Rose Garden, basically, you know, sprinting towards the front door of the White House, and we haven't been shot yet. Like, the automatic machine gun hasn't opened fired yet, and, like, the season has not been canceled. And now we're, like, five feet away from the door. We're about to break into the White House. And if they haven't got us yet, I think we're going all the way. Exactly. The inevitability of cancellation has just kind of hung over our heads, and we just haven't realized, hey, these teams are practicing. These guys are ready to go. And you have to be excited, I mean, because it's been so drab the past, what, three, four months the NBA's come back, the MLB's come back, that's helped, but you know, it, it never really seems real in the fall until college football rolls around. Yeah, and then once it's seven days away, how could it not feel real? Be- Absolutely not. I mean, it, it's about time, Syracuse fans. And Syracuse has made some serious changes this offseason. Uh, Sterling Gilbert, offensive coordinator. Tony White, defensive coordinator. And on offense, I think it's going to be a lot of the same as what we've seen in the past couple of years from Dino Babers and company. Sterling Gilbert's worked with Babers before, both at Eastern Illinois and Bowling Green, and led successful teams. 19 wins in the past, well, 19 wins in their three years together, along with top 10 offenses at Eastern Illinois in both years. So, Gil, do you expect to see anything different, or do you think, do you agree with me, it's going to be a lot of the same? No, I mean, it's pretty much Babers hiring someone who you know, is a, is already a Babers guy. It's so it's, he's, he's not going out of the box and Babers as a, an offensive minded coach, you know, that he's going to be a little bit more hands-on schematically with the offense than he is the defense. So when it comes to the, you know, the offensive coordinator position, it's kind of, he's kind of more of a backup where I imagine Tony white, who we'll get to in a moment on the defensive side is more like a head coach. If you're really separating sides of the football and, and that's not to say that Sterling Gilbert is not the, the principal X's and O's coach for the offense. I'm sure he is. But just, I would say, philosophically and schematically, I don't expect to see anything drastically different from what we've seen in the Dino Babers era. In press conferences, uh, Aaron Hackett, probably going to be the starting tight end this year for SU, has said that Coach Gilbert's added a couple wrinkles into the offense, but you know not much has changed in yeah, I agree with you there, Gil. He's definitely going to be calling the plays, obviously, but Babers will for sure have input. And Gilbert Gilbert certainly can call some plays. He had a top 25 offense at Texas. I mean, he also coached at Baylor. He called plays for Charlie Strong at USF. So he's definitely got, you know, the resume of all the jobs that he's worked. Last year, he worked at McNeese State as a head coach. So he can certainly call some plays, but it'll be interesting to see how it works with the offense because, you know, last year the offense just wasn't great. I feel like you've actually passed on Sterling Gilbert's like top resume item or something. I'm surprised. Really? Yeah. 
Well, really? I feel like coaches these days are just judged by like what quarterbacks they've coached. That uh, that is also very so, true. So, right, we attach Jimmy Garoppolo to Dino Babers. Gilbert was the coordinator. So, Gilbert is is your Jimmy Garoppolo whisperer, which means that Tommy DeVito is going to the NFL. That's kind of that's kind of the logic that most people now employed, at least most NFL organizations employ when they're looking for a coach is who who has developed quarterbacks. That's that's very true. Cliff Kingsbury, I would say, is the main name there. Uh, Gil, arbitrary question here, but if we want to make that Tommy DeVito, Jimmy Garoppolo comparison, who do you think is the better arm talent? Because I think DeVito certainly could have a case there. They're comparable. Uh, it's it's difficult when one is in the NFL and the, course, the other is probably a, I would feel confident calling DeVito a, a bottom half ACC quarterback, but if he's great at anything, it's, he can throw the football. He's got great arm talent. There's just so much more that, that goes into quarterbacking that he needs to improve. Exactly. We actually ranked the, uh, SE, well, the ACC QBs on the site, orangefizz.net. You can also check that out at orangefizz on Twitter. Check that article out for the QB rankings in the ACC. But Gil, let's move over to the defensive side now. Tony White, former secondary coach at Arizona State, was moved up to defensive coordinator for one game, actually, at Arizona State before coming to Syracuse. But he's also worked with Babers before, one year at UCLA. White was only a grad assistant, but still, there's a little connection there. But moving to ASU, Tony White did a masterful job with that secondary. Last year, the ASUD was top 20 and passes defended and only allowed 13 plus passing plays well well 13 passing plays of 40 plus yards which really killed the Syracuse defense last year just giving up those long bombs the Hail Mary plays and also stuff like poor tackling we saw that kill the orange against Clemson uh you know 75 yard screen pass for a touchdown but that's just on the DBs making the tackles at the line of scrimmage so i really expect to see a huge leap from the secondary both coverage-wise and tackling-wise, with Tony White leading this defense. I expect to see a leap as well. The, d- the defensive side of the ball, as we'll get into, personnel-wise, uh, warrants a lot more confidence than the offensive side of the ball. But it, it really seems like Dino Babers just wanted that 3-3-5 defense more than anything. That's, that's what he was out in the market to get. And he, he made an attempt with Zach Arnett, who agreed to become Syracuse's defensive coordinator over the summer and apparently didn't sign the dotted line, fled for uh, what he viewed as a better job in Mississippi State. And then and Mike Leach. Yeah, and then suddenly it was, okay, back to the market to find another defensive coordinator, and Baber says, okay, well, I still want that 3-3-5, and he gets it in Tony White. So that's five defensive backs, three linebackers, three defensive linemen. And if you look at things, I don't know if you agree, I feel like it does at the present really fit the personnel i i would have to agree with you i mean what su lost its best two rushers on the edge and got a pretty a pretty good wealth of experience i guess at the d tackle position so in terms of what the you know defensive linemen are required to do in the 335 it makes a lot more sense linebackers eh, i don't know i mean lose andrew armstrong there's 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 going to be some questions at the linebacker spot but i think that's more of a wait and see than anything else but the secondary, that's really where Syracuse has made its headlines this year, Gil. We talked about a while back when uh, the athletic, when Bruce Feldman released his uh, 50 freaks from college football. Two Syracuse secondary players 
right in that list. Cisco and Williams, well, True Williams, that is, made that 50 Freaks list. And so if you really want to showcase you know, the talent that Syracuse has to offer, certainly highlighting the secondary is what you want to do. And I think Ify is a tremendous player. And I actually think that Melifonwu just really, he flies under the radar. I think he can... I think he can be an NFL corner, and I think he's probably one of the best cover corners in the ACC. So I'm I'm really high on all three of them. I, I don't see how anyone could not be. And the the three three five, I think what it does more than anything is it takes a little bit of pressure off that that those linebackers. When you have that Tampa two defense, the linebackers are just forced to cover so much ground, and if they're not great athletes, they they really got expo- exposed. And with the exception of when Zaire Franklin and Paris Bennett wa- was uh, the linebacker duo for Syracuse, this orange defense has struggled. And for some reason, that's been a position group. It's just been a rotating carousel. And I think to, to put a little bit more honus on the secondary and take a little bit of pressure off the linebackers is going to be a really good thing. And it's interesting because the three three five, you have two corners, two safeties like a normal defense would, but then you have that fifth defensive back. Uh, I mean, some people call it a nickel. Some people call it a rover. It's also been known as Jack, Star. There are so many different names for it. You see it all over college football now with you know the spread offense pretty much being commonplace. But I think the nickel or rover, whatever we want to call it, they've been calling it the rover in press conferences, is going to be the biggest key for the Syracuse defense this year because the rover not only has to come up and hit in the run game like a linebacker, but they also have to cover wide receivers. Think of, say, maybe a, J- a Jabril Peppers type of player when he was at Michigan. That That's what you're looking for in this rover spot. And the two names that we've heard so far, Evan Coley and Andre Sisco, who I mean, you know, these, these are probably your two best safeties who you would think can both cover and hit. Yeah, I mean, my my thing on Sisco is I want to see him moved around to me, a good coach, when you have a, a talent like Andre Cisco, is you gotta you gotta help him find the football. So I think of a, an ACC comparison in Isaiah Simmons, and Simmons was a bigger guy and more of a linebacker than a he was a physical freak, guy. right? A, a, but a, a physical yes, freak, a total freak. But what Clemson would do with Simmons is try asking what position did Isaiah Simmons play in college? Defense. I think they showed a. They showed a graphic. He probably played like nine or ten positions. I remember ESPN showing one during the college football playoff. He was all over the field. You never knew where Simmons was going to line up because he was such an incredible defensive player. It was just, okay, well, wherever we need you right now, that's where you should go. And I'm really hoping Syracuse does that with Cisco. I want to see creativity. I want to see them moving him around. So whether he's the rover or or whether he's at the safety position— I just want to make sure that Syracuse is maximizing Cisco, and that's something to watch early on with this coaching staff and Tony White. Well, I think that rover position is certainly one where guys are going to find the football because they can either be on the line of scrimmage, they can be back in coverage. Last year, uh, the rover at ASU, Evan Fields, had 83 tackles, which was second on Arizona State's team, and also two interceptions and two fumble recoveries. I mean, we know Cisco has a nose for the ball, but... He's not necessarily a fumble forcer or a fumble recoverer, uh, you know, in the past season. So maybe that's just another element he can add to his game. 
Well, he's getting bigger and stronger. If you look at him like freshman year, he was really skinny. And, and last year he bulked up a little bit. And then this year he's looking actually big. He's looking more like an NFL player this year for, for the first time. So Cisco certainly does need to work on his tackling. And I think sometimes he takes some pretty bad angles and makes some, some mistakes um, when it comes to tackling. But I think he knows that. And he's got all the raw talent and the athletic capability to become a, a really solid tackler. So that's what I'm expecting this season. And then we'll see if he keeps up the crazy pace that he's had in terms of turning the ball over because he's the active FBS leader in interceptions. And he, along with Evan Coley, Trill Williams, Ify Melifonwu, will certainly, I guess, be the leaders in what is a dangerous Syracuse secondary, but they'll be challenged game number one. Sam Howell coming back, along with pretty much UNC's whole receiving core. Uh, that's going to be a big test early. It will, and especially with the offensive line injuries, again, that'll probably come up a little bit later in the show. you got to be concerned, and it's not an easy week one whatsoever for Syracuse. Boston College would have been a tad easier if that remained the matchup. But, Ian, before we get off the coordinators, I think we both agree, and I want to just make sure we throw this out there. It's not a good year to have two new coordinators. Can we agree on that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, Dino said... In his press conference, they're doing the best they possibly can. But no, in the in the Zoom world, as Dino himself said, it is a terrible year to have two new systems to teach. So uh, that's and, a concern. And again, that will skew towards the beginning of the season where, where you're you know, concerned about that kind of stuff. Towards the end of the season, players start to hopefully make less mistakes and understand the system a little better. Absolutely. So... We'll be talking offense on the other side of the break. Who's going to be the key players at running backs and receivers for the Orange? Fizz Radio on the score 1260 when we come back. Back here on Fizz Radio, Ian Unsworth and Gil Gross on the score 1260 with you on this Saturday morning. Gil, so we talked about the coordinators in our last segment. So now we're moving on to the offense where Syracuse lost some big pieces, namely Mo Neal starting running back and Tristan Jackson, the team's leading receiver. So I want to go to the backs first. Who do you think is going to carry the the bulk of the load for the Orange in the backfield? It's a very complicated question, Ian. And it didn't seem like it was going to be a complicated question. It seemed like, okay, well, Abdul Adams is probably the most versatile back uh, then you have Jarvion Howard, who will kind of continue to be the power back, and everything is really, really simple. But did, but you know, Dino Babers. Okay, well, let, let's take it from step one. People started to notice that both Abdul Adams and Jarvion Howard were not being offered up to the media on any of these Zoom media sessions, and. With Syracuse having closed practices, what people are really relying on are literally official photos and official press releases. And no Abdul Adams, no Jarvion Howard. They're not they're not in the official media. So eventually, Stephen Thompson of the Post Standard asked uh, Babers, basically, hey, can you just like confirm that these guys are on the team and they exist? And, you know, it's not just a coincidence that we're not seeing them. And then Baber said, you should reach out to them individually. 
Anyone who's been around this program knows the one thing they ask you not to do is reach out to them individually. So I don't know what this is about, but at this point, you got to keep a very close eye on Jawar Jordan and Markenzie Pierre week one against Carolina. I guess maybe Cooper Lutz as well. Gil, I was not expecting you to, to go there with the doomsday scenario, but... It's, it's certainly plausible. You're right. I'm looking through the Syracuse football Instagram. There is no, there are plenty of shots of guys like Anthony Queeley, who, you know, barely played last year, redshirted, and, you know, now is probably primed for a big role, but well, Anthony Queeley is a receiver. But, you know, nevertheless, these, like, Abdul Adams is now a household name with Syracuse fans, and so is Jarvion Howard. It, it man, it, it, it could get scary if they don't have these two. Yeah, I mean, this is just, it, it's that kind of year where you don't really know where players' heads are at. And it, it is it is interesting that they would both come at, at the same position. And we also, Dino Babers hasn't said, any, well, he said there's players that might still opt out. Is that a possibility? We have no clue what these running backs are planning to do. I mean, it's not like Abdul Adams has a certified future in the NFL draft, but is he preparing to go to the Combine? Who knows? I mean, Jarvion Howard's Jarvion Howard isn't isn't going to the combine anytime soon. But why why would these guys hold out? Do you, can you think of any sort of reason besides COVID scares? That would be the the presumed reason. Um, I would say I wouldn't put it past Babers, and and this is don't take this as an attack on the Syracuse head football coach, but I really wouldn't put it past Dino Babers to just not tell the media who has opted out even though he knows exactly who has opted out. And maybe those two players have made the decision and the team policy is, look, we're not going to tell the media. You can tell the media. We're not going to say anything. Uh, So I guess it's possible that Jarvion Howard and Abdul Adams have already opted out and they haven't told anyone. And Syracuse Athletics isn't about to. Well, who knows? Okay. Gil, let's let's wipe the slate clean here because we've we've sort of covered every single worst case scenario we can possibly think of. But well, well, how about this? I'll offer this up real quick. Jawar Jordan could be very, very good. Oh, absolutely. He's, he's got he's got a ton of speed. He's he's a home run hitter. I would compare him to like a, a Darren Sproles type if we're going to the NFL. Um, so, but the concern would be blocking and pass protecting with a guy like Jawar Jordan, but I wouldn't be concerned about him running the football. Yeah, and also just game experience. He barely played. Dino said that he wanted to get Jordan in last year as much as possible because, as you said, he is a you know big hitter, impact guy, but you know, he's behind three other backs. He's barely played. But, okay, as I said, let's let's wipe this slate clean here for a second. If, you know, all, all the, you know, postulating we've just done is completely false— who do you think gets the bulk of the carries? Is it Jarvion Howard or is it Abdul Adams? I still think it's Adams because Jarvion Howard can't really catch the football from what I've seen. It's always I always hesitate to say these things before the season because, you know, maybe he'll go out there and be Christian McCaffrey all of a sudden. But from what we've seen, Howard just isn't much of a, a, re- a receiving threat. And Abdul Adams, there was a learning curve last year. He wasn't all that impressive, but I feel like he would be the kind of Mo Neal type to probably have his, you know, have his best year, senior year, once he kind of gets used to um, 
kind of a complicated scheme that Syracuse runs where the running backs actually have a large role in deciding what protections the Orange run. And I would say a comfortable Abdul Adams is a pretty solid back in the ACC. I'd, I'd agree, but Gil, last if we're going off of last year, I liked what I saw from Jarvion Howard more. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Jarvion Howard might get the bulk of the carries as the season progresses. And it's not because he's not more experienced. Obviously, Abdul Adams has the experience. And Adams looked great in his first game in an orange uniform, you know, back to the Camping World Bowl. But I don't know. Something about watching Jarvion Howard last year, just the way he runs, he's... He's, he runs with that sort of anger. He, he's always trying to run someone over. And he I, I think his straight line speed compared to Adams, it, I would say they're on about the same plane. And I'd much I rather agree. take an aggressive runner who's really just trying to, you know, knock someone down in the secondary or just go right past you. And instead of Adams, who I've honestly never really seen great elusiveness from. I know what you mean. I, I really do. Adams has a more of an it factor when he runs the ball. I think that that's apparent. And I, I had a love affair with uh, with Jarvion Howard when he was a freshman and he was barely getting any carries at this point. And whenever he got the ball, he just ran someone over. Uh, it, or at least it, it seemed that way. But as the sample size grows with Howard and as the scouting report has come out, and I think now people know, okay, like this guy's going to try to lower your shoulder lower his shoulder into you. I just think that tacklers are starting to have a better understanding of what they need to do. And the other problem with Howard is sometimes he's just impatient and doesn't show good vision. When there's a hole for, for Jarvion and he hits it hard and he's into the second level, uh, I love him. But I do feel like a lot of the times you give Jarvion Howard the ball and he kind of doesn't find a hole and never gets going and it's no gain on the play. I, I can understand that. And maybe as you're a couple years older than I am, you're just older and wiser. And I'm going through what you <laughs> went through, maybe freshman yeah, or sophomore year. That might be it. It's the love affair period. The Absolutely. Jarvion Howard honeymoon period. Maybe, maybe every Syracuse fan has one of those that not everybody's shared their story. But in terms of Abdul Adams, I, I would agree though. Even though I'm not currently impressed at, from what I've seen from him, I do think he'll have a better senior year understanding the schemes, as you said, and maybe, who knows, he's worked in the offseason on that elusiveness, uh, on his foot quickness, and you're right, Jarvion Howard is not a passing back. Well, he's not a back that can get involved in the passing game, and certainly Adams and Jordan are guys that if Dino just wants to go, you know, three, if he wants an every down back, he's looking to those two before he looks to Howard. Yep, I agree. So, and then... Back to the doomsday, Markenzie Pierce would be a heavier back who would probably stand a better chance in the blocking game when compared to Jawar Jordan. Hey, this is actually a position where you do feel like Syracuse has depth in. So that's good. Absolutely. They also moved a Cooper Lutz from the wide receiver spot to the backfield as well. So who knows? If Syracuse loses their top two running backs, they will have some bodies behind them. And the receiver spot is another spot where there's a lot of bodies, but not much production. Earlier earlier this year, uh, one of our staff co- co-workers at the Orange Fizz, Thomas Schultz, ranked the Syracuse wide receivers and evaluated what their impact could be on the Syracuse season. Check that out on orangefizz.com. 
orangefizz.net. And also you can find the article on Twitter at orangefizz. But Gil, let's talk about these receivers because there is not much that is proven with this group. No, there's a lot of uncertainty, especially because Tristan Jackson, I think, surprised most of us. I was surprised. Were you surprised? Oh, yes, I was very surprised. I didn't see him going to the NFL, but that's the decision that he made. And I think the big problem last year was it was kind of a it was kind of a one man band. I was really excited to see what Taj Harris might do uh, last season with with Tommy DeVito because he showed some good things as a freshman when Eric Dungy was his quarterback. That connection just wasn't there, and I think that Taj Harris was really frustrated last year. He thought he was capable of much more. I think sometimes, visibly, his body language would tell you that on the field last year. Now, with Jackson's departure, he's thrusted into this number one role. And I'll tell you what, they better figure it out. There needs to be chemistry there, or Syracuse is going to be in trouble. Yeah, and Gil, I think Taj Harris had some great flashes last year. I watched the Wake Forest game back a couple of months ago, and in the first half, he caught a couple of bubble screens and made some nice plays on the outside, but they just never targeted him in the second half. So maybe maybe it was also play calling, maybe it's just DeVito looking to Jackson when Syracuse needed a big play, but I completely agree that Harris did not see enough of the ball in big moments. Well, I think it might have been a couple things. Um, Obviously, you do have the issue of um, the amount of time that Tommy DeVito had to throw the football. And I just don't know if there were a lot of instances last season where he could really go through a progression. I really think it was kind of one one and done, one look and done. Um, and then it was either he either got rid of the ball or he got sacked, basically. Or, he got uh, sacked a lot. Or he scrambled. He did get sacked quite a bit, the most in Power 5. So that's why I, I think... Tommy DeVito wasn't able to spread the ball around last year at all. But uh, you're right. Taj Harris is extraordinarily talented. After the catch, he is dangerous. And I think he made some of the best plays in all of Syracuse football last year. He did have that 94-yard touchdown against Pittsburgh. And those are the kind of things that he can do. He can make SportsCenter top 10 with, with as a deep threat and as someone who can make defenders miss in the secondary. Another guy that's just got speed to burn, Nikeem Johnson, also saw his production reduced last year, and maybe it was Sean Riley's last year, so Riley got the bulk of reps in the slot, but I was certainly expecting more from Nikeem Johnson as well. I mean, I don't know what you were thinking, but yeah, I I wanted to see more from Nikeem Johnson, both in the receiving game and also on some returns as well. I'm with you, and I actually have his stats. I made sure to jot them down. Uh, before before we went on air here because this was a really stunning decline. As a freshman, Nikeem Johnson had 19 receptions for 99 yards, didn't score a touchdown. Okay, so he's kind of this backup slot receiver, didn't see the field much when he did, was kind of a shorthanded guy but not much of a deep threat. Then as a sophomore, he becomes a guy who can – who became really dangerous downfield and, and has a really good year. 41 catches, 565 yards, four touchdowns. That included an 82-yard touchdown and a 65-yard touchdown. And when DeVito came in for Dungy in relief that, that season, oftentimes he was looking for Johnson deep. Last year, it was like, where is this guy? 
eight receptions, 68 yards. So he had a worse campaign as a junior than he did as a freshman. And, I mean, who knows what happened. The next time the media has a chance to, to speak to Nikeem Johnson, I'm sure the first question will be, what was different in your junior year compared to your sophomore year? I mean, I, I don't have an answer. Does, does anybody have an answer? I think Nikeem's no. the only person with the answer. You just don't know what goes on, though. I mean, these these players can have injuries. They could have personal issues. Um, and, yeah, but one thing we can agree on, and we're on the same page, is we were both expecting a lot of Nikeem Johnson. He didn't deliver. Now Sean Riley's gone, so it's probably time for him to look like he did as a sophomore if Syracuse is going to want good production out of the slot. Absolutely. Gil, I'm going to throw two more names out here before we go to break. And some guys that I think might be on the cusp of breakout campaigns. Anthony Quilly, who I mentioned before we've been seeing a lot of on the Cuse football Instagram. And Ed Hendricks, a former four-star recruit from D.C. that's been sidelined for two years with injuries. But he's certainly got the measurables. He's 6'3", 220. Uh, do either of these names ring in your bell? Well, Anthony Quilly, the first time I was introduced to him was actually the spring game last year. And he probably made the best catch of, of the spring game, one-hander in the end zone. Um, so Ed Hendricks, first of all, this is very hard to say because practices have been closed and neither of these players have really seen the field much in uh, game action. But what it seems to me is that Hendricks is kind of the speedster who hasn't been able to stay healthy. And Queeley might be the player with, uh, with better ball skills. If, if that's the situation, I would always kind of favor the player with better ball skills, especially on the outside. Um, so I don't know. Hendricks the, is the faster guy. Queeley's the taller guy who can probably go up and get it a little bit more. It'll be interesting to see where Syracuse goes with that. Certainly up in the air and probably one of the premier battles that has taken place in camp. Who knows how the battle is going? We won't find out until next Saturday. Hopefully Dino Babers lets us know beforehand, but the receivers, he uh, he, yeah, he won't. The receivers certainly a group with a lot of questions, and we'll talk about another one that's been up in the air, the offensive line when we return. It's Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Back on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260, Ian Unsworth here with Gil Gross and remember, you can check us out on Twitter at OrangeFizz and also on our website at OrangeFizz.net. And Gil, we talked about receivers, running backs, and now let's move to the O-line, a position that like can't possibly get worse, if we're being honest, after last year when Tommy DeVito was the most sacked quarterback in the Power 5. And four or five starters returning, seems like it should be getting better, but whew, after Dino Baber's press conference, he said there's been some injuries during practice. I, I, I'm not sure what to make of this. Right. I mean, I was all ready to be optimistic about the offensive line. Um, I think after after Armstrong left and Bergeron um, came in, do I do I am I do I have the name right? Armstrong. Yes. Okay. Because I I felt a yes. little fuzzy on that. Um, and uh, Matthew Bergeron came in at tackle. I thought the yeah, line right actually tackle. improved. And, and all, oh. Go on, go ahead. One other one other thing. Aaron Service moved. Uh, Aaron Service moved out to left tackle, and Carlos Vettorello moved to the center spot. That seemed to really shore it up. Right. So so that was also helpful. So it was better at the end of the year. 
You have Bergeron coming back as a sophomore, sure to be better. Service, who's probably the most important guy on the line, he comes back. Um, so I was all kind of ready to be optimistic, but now Babers is saying, and of course he won't tell us who was injured, but he has said that people are injured. He he used a plural there, which means it's two or more, as this is grammar class. Um, and he basically lumped them together. They said, we're expecting to have players back in late September, early October, and then essentially said that it's going to be all about getting through the first couple weeks of the season. It's just not what you want to hear. Definitely not. I mean, North Carolina's a pressure-happy defense, and then Pitt, Pat Narduzzi's over there. It's all they do is blitz. Yeah, I'm sure he's got something schemed up. Oh, man, it's, it's it's looking spotty right now at the Syracuse offensive line, and a guy that certainly could have helped, Chris Blake, we don't even know if he's eligible. We 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 just don't know. Gil he yeah, transferred here in transferred here in April due to family hardships and injuries. Two perfectly legit reasons. He applied for his eligibility waiver in April. He he would I would say he'd start at guard. He played at Florida, played pretty darn well. Florida had a good offensive line with two backup quarterbacks, nevertheless. And the NCAA once once Gil we always come back to the NCAA, don't we? We do. We always come back to them. We do. I, uh, Mark, N- Mark Emmert is not a fan of Fizz Radio, especially when Gil and Ian are on. The NCAA, somehow, whether they tossed his waiver in the trash, they put it in a folder, locked it up, threw away the key, they burned it, whatever it might be, dudes have transferred multiple times in this waiver window in 2020, and Chris Blake does not know if he is eligible. This is ridiculous and absurd. Yeah. It, it is, and I'm kind of torn on my assessment of how this is going to play out um, because on one hand, yeah, like the NCAA has been giving out waivers like Oprah gives out free cars. It's like candy on Halloween. Right. Chris Blyke is a guy who is literally in a global pandemic moving to play closer to home so he can see his family. And right now, there's been no answer. On the other hand, Syracuse football being the Pentagon it is of information, like maybe he was denied and they're keeping that under wraps. And that's another common theme of today's show, Ian, is we can't, we don't know anything. We don't know anything. We don't know. Because Syracuse football is the Pentagon. And I don't blame them for being that way. I I get it. But I'm going to have to call it like it is. They are the Pentagon. They do not say anything. Syracuse football is the Pentagon hidden behind Dino Babers' slogans, analogies, and, I guess, funny stories. But let's, Gil, I just want to, okay, let's make this, I just want to put this out here right quick. JT Daniels, right, quarterback from USC, gets injured last year, gets his job taken by Keaton Slovis, another great quarterback, actually one of my best friend's cousins, but gets his job taken. Right, and so JT Daniels says, "Hey, I want to go somewhere else so I can play, right? Because this guy, Keaton Slovis, is going to be playing for a long time here at USC. So JT Daniels decides to go to Georgia, right, where Jamie Newman's also quarterback there. Jamie Newman just left because JT Daniels took the job, but JT Daniels just wants to play. And the NCAA says, "Sure, you can play. Why? I don't care." It's a big-time football program. It's Georgia. They're going to be on national TV every single week. Is Syracuse? No. 
and we, we know this. And I, I can't help but think there's some sort of bias in the NCAA that gives guys, you know, Justin Fields, JT Daniels, these big-time names going to big-time programs, this immediate gratification. Well said, Ian. And I think that Babers kind of did insinuate a similar sentiment when, when he was like, look, it's been this way ever since I've gotten here. Five years now I've been dealing with this garbage. Um, and it, it, it seems like... Yeah, it's like there's no explanation here. What What is going on? Who knows? But seven days out now, who is the guard? Is it, you know, is who's the offensive line? We don't know. We're not going to know. And it would it would be nice to know. It would be very nice. I think Dakota Davis is probably one of the clear-cut starters. Maybe yep. Darius Tisdale. I would say those are probably my two names gonna that are going to start at the guard's. And it's, it's not like these guys are inexperienced, but they're not talents at the level of Chris Blake. No, I mean, they wouldn't start at Florida, I don't think. No, no, certainly so, not. Uh, so there's that right there. If you want a good idea, here's one thing we don't do know. If you want a good idea of how desperate Syracuse is at the offensive line position, Chris Elmore is taking reps um, at the guard spot. That's not good. All right, Elmore, tight end, fullback. Not D-lineman. an offensive lineman. D lineman sometimes. Not an offensive lineman if you can help it. And, you know, sit, look, you need to make sure that you have emergency options in case players get injured. But the fact that he is being considered as an emergency option does not bode well. It means that there are probably two or more injuries, significant injuries, on the Syracuse offensive line. And this is not a unit that could really afford people to get injured. No, certainly not. North Carolina has four defensive linemen that are coming back, experienced outside linebackers, a secondary that is bent on wrecking havoc, loves to blitz. Oh, man, I, I don't want to know what week one looks like because if it looks like last year, it's it's going to be a scary first couple of weeks. Yeah, well, you said at the top it can't get worse. I do kind of agree with you there. Well, we're going to take it to break. When we come back, Fizz Feedback. Here on The Score 1260, Ian Unsworth and Gil Gross taking you home. Wrapping it up here on Fizz Radio, Ian Unsworth and Gil Gross taking you home on this Saturday morning. And Gil, everybody's favorite segment is up now, Fizz Feedback. So we had some questions regarding our earlier topics in the show. Let's start it off. So first Fizz Feedback question who leads SU in receiving yards this year? Is it Taj Harris, Nikeem Johnson, Aaron Hackett, who we did not mention earlier but is primed for a good year, or is it someone else? Gil, who do you think? Hmm. I uh, I think it, it better be Taj Harris. I think if it's not ta- Taj Harris, that would be concerning. Like that year, let me just say, let me compare it to something. There was a year where, uh, Dungy senior year, where he led the team in rushing. Not good. You don't want that. Absolutely. Taj Harris was the overwhelming choice for most of the Syracuse Orange community. 81.3% said that he would be the leader in receiving yards. Nikeem Johnson got 9% of the vote. Aaron Hackett, 0%. I'm a little surprised there. And the field got 9% as well. Second well, let question. Let me just say this real Oh, go quick. ahead. Go ahead. Um... It's hard to give it to anyone else because we don't really know 
who occupies that second outside receiver spot. We don't know if it's Ed Hendricks or Anthony Queeley. Whoever it is might have a really good chance at leading the team in uh, receiving yards. We just don't know who it is. So the uh, the other looms large. Let's put it that way. So second fizz feedback question: Who leads the Orange in rushing yards this upcoming season? Is it Abdul Adams, Jarvion Howard, Jawar Jordan, or the field? Gil. Uh oh. I'm I'm reading into what's going on here, and I actually have a really bad feeling about it. So I'm gonna go with Jawar Jordan, and they they got to figure out they'd have to figure out a way you know, to protect DeVito with a running back who isn't going to be very good at blocking. Um, I And I imagine Marquenzie Pierre, if there's no Abdul Adams and no Jarvion Howard, would play a pretty big role. But I'm going to go with Jar, uh, Jawar Jordan here. But I bet Fizz Nation is not on my level. <laughs> Fizz Nation is not subscribed to Doomsday just yet. So Abdul Adams won the vote with 51.1%. Jawar Jordan actually came in second, 28.9%. And Jarvion Howard came in third, get the bronze medal with 15.6% of the vote. The field got a paltry 4.4. Last but not least, we didn't really touch on the defensive line that much, but we might as well ask Orange Nation, who do you think will be the Syracuse sack leader in 2020? So the potential D-line starters were our three options, Kingsley Jonathan, McKinley Williams, and Josh Black, and of course the field. So Gil, this was actually a pretty close vote, so I'm interested to see who you're picking. Um, okay, I do think that Josh Black is the best defensive lineman Syracuse has, but the best pass rusher, someone who will come off the edge more, is Kingsley Jonathan, who really hasn't had a chance playing behind Kendall Coleman and Elton Robinson his entire career. Um, but he does have seven and a half career sacks, and I believe next year Kingsley Jonathan will will take a leap up and lead the team in sacks. Ooh, that's super close because Kingsley Jonathan came in second with 28.1% of the vote. But first place was McKinley Williams with 31.3%. So, Gil, very close. Okay. But, oh, yes, so far. Josh Black coming in third with 25%. And then the field, 15.6%. So, I mean, sure. that's a pretty even vote. I could see it going anyway. Yeah, and by the way, I mean, with the with the three three five, real quick, it looks like Steve Linton is a linebacker, but he'll also be he'll be an edge rusher um, on on a lot of sets for sure. And so, Gil, I know before we take off here today, you had one other thing you wanted to tell Orange Nation. I noticed Jim Beheim is on Cameo, so for two hundred dollars, you can ask Jim Beheim to say anything, and um, all proceeds go to the Jim and Julie Foundation. So, Ian, my question for you is what would you have Jim Beheim say? Well, Gil, I'd have Jim Beheim tell Dino Babers to open up a little bit. You know, share some of yourself or some of your team's stories with the media just like Coach B does, you know. Be expressionist. Tell the media what they want to know. Okay, well, mine is also media-centric, but I'm going in a different direction. Beheim is kind of a media critic of his own. And he'll tell you what he what he thought. Last year, he told Mike Waters um, that his article was the worst form of journalism. <laughs> and I oh know boy. that he's that he that he is one to read everything. And I think he reads Absolutely. Fizz quite a bit. I, I really do. I would make him say, "Orange Fizz is always right." 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say we're just about always right. Uh, maybe not in everybody's mind, but in our own minds, yes, we are always right. Not in Jim Beheim's mind. Not in Jim Beheim's mind. That's why I'd mind. make him say it. But just, just do it for the foundation. Just so we could put it. Two hundred. Just so we could put it on the top of our site. That's gonna do it for Fizz Radio today. For Gil Gross, I've been Ian Unsworth. Don't forget to check us out at orangefizz.net and also on Twitter at orangefizz. And so we're signing off. Everybody, have a good weekend.